Chapter 17 of With Lengths of Steel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Harvey. With Lengths of Steel by Nicholas Carter. Chapter 17. The Game Uncovered. The following morning. The clock in Nick Carter's library was striking nine. Nick and Chick were seated at one side of the table, and Jean Pilot occupied a chair at the opposite side. Upon the dark cloth top of the table between them lay two large diamonds, declared by Pilot to have been artificially made, the two with which he claimed to have been swindled. Yet to the eyes of a layman they had all the qualities of natural gems, gleaming and glistening with magnificent fire, in the cheerful sunlight of Nick's library. Pillow had invented a very clever and consistent story about himself and his mission in New York, as well as about the meeting and being victimized by the counterfeit diamond shover, and Nick as yet saw no occasion for seriously distrusting him or connecting him with the Kilgore gang. He rather suspected, in fact, that Pillow had shadowed the swindler whom Nick felt sure was Kilgore, with a view to learning just how the diamonds had been manufactured, and possibly with the design to turn the discovery to his own advantage. This was, indeed, the most natural deduction for Nick to arrive at, after considering all the circumstances. So you are confident that these stones are works of art rather than of nature, are you? inquired Nick who had been carefully examining the gems. "'I am absolutely sure of it, Mr. Carter,' declared Pilo. "'Have you any idea how such counterfeits can be made?' "'Oh, yes.' "'By what process and means, Mr. Pilo?' Pilo hastened to explain. "'A natural diamond, Mr. Carter, is pure carbon, crystallized under enormous heat and pressure in the bowels of the earth.' I am aware of that. Charcoal and graphite are also pure carbon, but not in a crystallized condition, continued Pilot. If that condition could be imparted to the substances mentioned, we should have the artificial diamond. How may that be done? inquired Nick. By subjecting the substance to the same condition under which the natural diamond was crystallized. Heat and pressure? Precisely, bowed Pilot. Attempts to thus manufacture diamonds have frequently been made. A Mr. Atchison of Pittsburgh, while so engaged in obtaining graphite from coal by the heat of an electric furnace, discovered the combination of silicone and carbon, now known as carborundum, which has commercial value as an abrasive. I know about that, bowed Nick. Now then, continued Pilot, with an unconscious display of enthusiasm, while diamonds certainly have been made by artificial means, the great difficulty has been that of producing them at a low cost. Mussein in my country produced diamonds by heating charcoal and iron to a high degree and letting the mixture cool under enormous pressure. He succeeded in obtaining very small crystals or diamonds, but the cost of production 
made his method impracticable from a commercial standpoint. Ah, I see. In 1872, a chemist named Rose converted graphite into diamonds by a similar process, but with the same result. The cost of production being too great, observed Nick. Precisely. Do you think that difficulty has now been overcome? I am compelled to think so, Mr. Carter, cried Pillow, pointing to the two diamonds on the table. You purchased them at a price compelling that belief? Exactly. Then you think the man of whom you got them has discovered a way to make such perfect artificial diamonds at a low price? I certainly do, Mr. Carter. Have you any idea of the machinery and ingredients he might require? asked Nick, with a view to getting points by which to locate the diamond plant. Pillow could easily inform him, and he promptly did so, following the instructions given him by Dave Kilgore. He would require an electric furnace and a hydraulic press, said he, also the tools for cutting the crude crystals. The ingredients used would depend upon the process he has discovered, probably coal or charcoal, and possibly some quantities of iron salts and sulfur. In brief, then, Mr. Pillow, said Nick, pointing to the diamonds on the table, if those stones were made as cheaply as you think, the diamond market offers the manufacturers of them a field for a most gigantic swindle, does it not? Indeed it does, exclaimed Pillow, throwing up his hands. Enormous, enormous millions could be made by so unparalleled a fraud. It opens the way, in fact, to the most colossal swindle on record, undoubtedly. Nick glanced significantly at Chick, then abruptly rose to his feet. That he had struck the big game, which from the first he had suspected, he now had no doubt. I require no more of you at present, Mr. Pillow, said he with courteous firmness. I shall do all in my power to remedy your loss by this swindle and to secure the perpetrators of it. Thank you, Detective Carter, bowed Pillow with a crafty display of appreciation and humility. Meantime, added Nick, you will please take no action in this case, but leave it entirely to me. I will do so, sir. If you will leave me your city address or call here again in a few days, I shall have something to report to you. I will call the day after tomorrow, Detective Carter, said Pillow, promptly, too cunning to give Nick a fictitious address. Very well, said Nick. Call in the evening. And now, Mr. Pillow, we will bid you good morning and get to work at once upon the case. Pillow bowed very agreeably, taking his artificial diamonds from the table and replacing them in his pocket. And Nick then conducted him to the door, again assuring him that no efforts in his behalf should be spared. Pillow once more expressed his thanks, bowing and smiling as he descended the steps. And Nick closed the door and returned to the library. Well, Chick, the bag is open and the cat out he cried as he entered. Right you are, Nick, and a monstrous cat it is. Never a larger one, declared Chick with a laugh, 
by Jove, Nick, if Kilgore has really found a way to produce such perfect counterfeit diamonds, his gang could work the greatest swindle ever known unless had it off. That is their game, all right, said Nick. From the very first, I have suspected something extraordinary. They're not the stamp of criminals to dicker with petty jobs. I should say not. Far from it. One thing is plain, namely, where Cervera gets her diamonds and of what they consist. True, she certainly is one of the gang. With such counterfeits as those worked upon Pilau and one big jewelry concern to help market the goods, they could clean up millions in a very short time. No doubt of it, and they have their jewelry concern all right. Vanner and company? Surely. We must get absolute proof of it. That's just what I intend doing. Now that we have the game uncovered, said Nick grimly. And then proceed to locate the plant where the goods are made, eh? Precisely. What are your plans? Well, first get a line on Venner and see to what it leads, replied Nick. There now is a way by which we can call the turn on him and get proof of his cooperation with Kilgore and his gang. By getting him to sell us some diamonds? Exactly. And then proving them to be artificial? That's the idea. Can you get at him in a way to trap him? What do you mean? He may fight shy of us, suggested Chick. In case he knows that Pilot's scrap with the gang last night, he may fear that Pilot has discovered the fraud and reported it to the police. Uh, there's not much danger of that, replied Nick. So stupendous a fraud would at once be given publicity through the press. That's true. In either case, added Nick abruptly, there's a way by which we can fool him. I'll explain it on the way. Get your makeup box and prepare to go with me. Since we have the game uncovered, we'll lose no time in rounding up these accomplished rascals. Good enough, exclaimed Chick as he hurriedly arose. The sooner the better. We may have ragged work before the job is completed, added Nick. So provide yourself with a brace of guns. I'll be ready when you are. Where first? To the house of Pandu Singh, the snake charmer. End of chapter 17. Recording by Paul Harvey.